What's going on, traders? Welcome and welcome to the SPACs Attack, where we're going to go ahead and talk about everything SPACs. But today we got a special show for you guys. If you guys are here for Matt Higgins and Gary V, definitely smash the like button. Let's get this party started. Let me bring on my man, Chris Ketchy, in here. What's up, Chris? Hey, what's going on, Mitch? How are we doing today? What's going on is that you're looking good, baby. I like the way you're looking. You're looking great. Let's go ahead and start our intro. If you guys don't know who we are, we are the SPACs Attack, where we cover everything SPACs. And go ahead, smash that like. All right, all right, team. As you guys are saying in the chat, we are definitely, definitely looking dapper. I did not plan the coloring with Chris, but we are looking great, looking like a duo that we've always been, the dynamic duo of Mitch and Chris here. So what's up, Chris? How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm super excited for this show. I, I hope that everyone you know, is joining us for this great interview we've got lined up today. You guys who have been with us from the start, you know, back in 2020, you know that's what we're all about here is giving you the the information, the the news, the deals, and then those exclusive interviews from some of the industry leaders in the SPAC world. All right, all right, guys. I'm seeing the love out there in the chat. If you guys can do us a favor before we begin today, go ahead, look down right there, hit that share button and let everybody know. Don't let your friends miss out on this interview. Let them know where we're going to go ahead and have Gary Vee, Matt Higgins on in just a few minutes. But before we get into that, Chris, do you have maybe one or two headlines that we want to maybe give out before? Now, I know that you guys are here for Gary Vee, but we're still the SPACs attack. So what's up, Chris? Yeah, let's just get through a couple headlines and then those two new deals from this morning. Uh, but again, we want to dive into that interview as soon as we're ready. So headlines today I have for you. We've got MPLN, that's multi-plan. Shares are trading higher after B. Riley initiated coverage on the stock, a buy rating and a $10 price target. We have Hillion, H-Y-L-N, moving higher. They formed a hyper truck council that's got some pretty big names attached to it. Uh, including fleet and technology leaders. We've got Agility, American Natural Gas, Anheuser-Busch, Penske, um, Ryder, Schneider, Wegmans Food Markets. And, and uh, Thomas Healy was also on TV today talking about that. So Hillion definitely getting some love out there. And then we've got EXPC merging with Blade, setting a merger vote date of May 5th. The merger of NPA has been approved, now trading as ASTS, and the chairman and CEO was on CNBC just a little bit ago um, talking about AST Space Mobile and that 5G plan for space. We've got New York looking to pass online sports betting legalization, which we're actually going to get to later on during that interview. Movers yesterday, we had MUDs up 16% MUDS on that deal with TOPS. 
and ROT up 2%. And then, of course, Romeo Power, RMO up 60%, and XL Fleet up 12% yesterday. Uh, another rumor out there, we have AGC looking like they're going to merge with Grab uh, at a $35 billion valuation. So keep an eye out on AGC moving higher today. And then our two new deals, we have MCAD uh, merging with Better, uh, a prescription digital therapeutics company, $187 million valuation. And then we have CAHC merging with Lumira a next-generation point-of-care diagnostic testing company. Um, they have some COVID-19 tests, I know. Uh, so revenue last year, $139 million. They see revenue hitting $600 million to $1 billion this year. Deal being done at a $5 billion valuation. That's what I've got, Mitch. Headlines and those two new deals. All right, all right, team. So now we're going to go ahead and do a little bit of talking about who exactly these two legendary guests that we're going to have on today, switching up the live streams thumbnails. So we get a lot of people in here. So definitely smash the like button before they get in here. We want to at least get to 500. So if you guys hit the share button, that's what really pushes the YouTube algorithm. That's why we're asking from you guys to go ahead and help us out hit that share button. But until then, let's go ahead. Let's talk a little bit about, first, I want to talk a little bit about who Matt Higgins is. And, and so why is he so great, guys? So first things first, let me go ahead and play a little clip here for you. I don't invest in ideas. Ideas are cheap. I invest in people, special people, who have what it takes to take that idea and go the distance. You come to visit me and it's like, boom, okay, let's go. Everybody needs something. We like to think we're the missing component. So we bring our real estate expertise, our sports expertise, our technology expertise, and we roll up our sleeves and we do whatever it takes to win. The entrepreneurs who go on Shark Tank, they're trying to make it and transcend. And I relate to that. I feel like my whole life has been about that. All right, all right. As you guys see there, the story of Matt Higgins definitely supporting and supporting the new entrepreneur. And, and really, as you guys see from the video, it's not just one thing that you guys see there. You guys see um, Christina Tozzi there, uh, great, great business, Milk Bar. Um, you guys see the Dolphins there, uh, a lot that he's pushed into. And like he's mentioned, um, you know, like you mentioned, for the people that come on Shark Tank, he's looking for those entrepreneurs because that's where he came from. That's where his story came from. I know that um, a hey, shout out to, to um, Matt Higgins' mom that really pushed him forward in life. And he, he didn't get the chance to really give her the life that he wished you could have given her. But I wanted to give a shout out definitely there. Um, and, and then we can move a, a little bit forward. Now, I don't know if you want to add something there, Chris, before we get into Gary Vee. Yeah, you know, we had Matt on the show um, not too long ago, and I was real impressed. You know, th this guy's done lots of deals. He he's been involved, you know, with retail, sports, and then of course he was a guest judge or a guest shark on Shark Tank. Um, you know, and he he's all about helping businesses. We've got small businesses, medium businesses, and, and he launched this SPAC omni-channel acquisition. OCA is the ticker. Um, full disclosure, just to get it out of the way, I do own shares of OCA. I did not during our last interview, but I have bought since then. Um, you know, so I just want to get that out there, but super excited for this. So tell us a little bit about uh, Gary V, Mitch. All right, guys. So one of the things is this is one of my 
favorite, favorite motivational speaker. And reason why I actually have seen him live, um, got a chance to see Tony Robbins and Gary Vee live in one speech. So, I mean, that you can't get much better than that. But let's talk a little bit about who Gary Vee is here. And I'll go ahead up and play this clip here. I'm desperate for people to start defining their hopes and dreams and wants and needs on their terms. Not on what I say. I don't care if you want to hustle 18 hours a day. I, I really don't. I really, really don't. I, I don't care if you want to buy the New York Jets. I don't care what you want or need. You need to care about what you want and need. You can't worry about what I'm saying. You can't worry about whoever your flavor of the month is, right? I don't want people to do me. I want people to do themselves. And they just have to start with understanding themselves and not trying to be like me of this moment or that person the next moment or that person the next moment. The people that most win are in tune with themselves and figuring themselves out. As you guys can see there, you can't say it better than that, guys. I mean, I went through this experience myself. There was a long time that I was searching to better myself and how I can get better. And, and like I mentioned on, on, on the show right before this Benzinga Pro, um, guys, this is what really changed my life. You know, a lot of the times when I grew up, I used to always be looking towards the weekend, looking towards Fridays and, and trying to look towards the weekend. And that really changed when I started really changing who I was and who I felt I was, you know, and once you understand who you are, I, I, I always agree that, you know, one of the things that Gary Vee stresses all the time is double, triple downing what you're good at, because once you know what you're good at, you can really start pushing on that growth level. And, you know, I, I think Gary Vee is definitely a proponent of that. And one of the things that you see in the clip here mentioned is Definitely, it's not just about following, you know, the motivation. It's about actually finding who you are and then putting it into work. So four years later, after that speech, I can definitely say that it's taken me to great heights. So uh, I don't know if you want to add something here, Chris. Yeah, you know, that's, that's awesome. And, you know, you got to hear him speak. And that's something that a lot of people out there, you know, they look to Gary Vee for, for motivation. You know, this is someone who, you know, he, he's well known in the space as a motivational speaker. He, he's well known as an investor. He's also well known at being early at trends, right? And he was an early investor in companies like Twitter, Facebook. He was early to, you know, recognizing the value that TikTok had right for brands and you know companies as far as a social reach he he was early in talking about nfts which we're going to dive into today so you know just just great all around you know to have these these two people that really you know are knowledgeable about business and other areas join us on the show today all right so without further ado i'm seeing our guest on there and ready so let's go ahead and play here we're going to play up an intro and then we'll be bringing them on all right, let's go ahead. Let's get it started, guys. Hit that like button. Hit that share, share, share. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I know everybody's super excited. Chris, go ahead and introduce our great guest. 
All right, guys, I'm so excited. We have joining us on the show once again, Matt Higgins. He is the CEO of Omnichannel Acquisition, that's ticker OCA. He's the co-founder and CEO of RSE Ventures. And you might have seen Matt as a guest shark on Shark Tank. And then also joining us, we have Gary V. He's the chairman of VaynerX, the CEO of VaynerMedia, a five times New York Times bestselling author. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Of course, of course. Hey, Matt. I, I really don't think we could have had two more legendary guests than you two. So I'm going to go ahead and go ahead and let Chris do some questions. I'll be back with some of my own. Please. All right, guys. So up first, we want to talk about SPACs. This is SPACs attack after all. Um, we had Matt on last time to, to talk about omni-channel acquisition, but Matt, for those of uh, our viewers who were not with us last time, can you give us a bit of a background on OCA and what they're looking for um, in a target company? Okay, great. Uh, nice to see everybody again. Nice to see you too, Chris. And uh, obviously, we're uh, we're still doing our work, so I'm limited in what I can discuss, but I can talk about what has been in the prospectus and what we're all about, right? I am very passionate about modern consumer businesses. It's what I live. It's what I invest in. It's what I've helped uh, build. Uh, particularly direct to consumer businesses. And it's also a, a course I co-teach at Harvard Business School about how to take a consumer business and move them along the omni-channel journey. So, you know, what, is, what does that really mean? The expectation now, especially coming out of the pandemic, is frictionless commerce, right? People don't care whether you're transacting at the register, you're ordering on your phone, you're ordering online. You want to be able to transact in a frictionless way no matter where you are and receive your goods, no matter how you want them, pick them up curbside and so forth. So the pandemic compressed you know, five plus years of e-commerce adoption into a year. And that's created a lot of opportunity, but also a lot of expectations. And so my, my passion is about operators, right? I've backed operators all my life, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk and a, and a great group of people. And my, my thought was, if you could put together a dream team of operators, of omni-channel Avengers, who could help a target move along that journey, you could do something really special. So I worked really hard, put together a group of uh, 21 individuals between the board and advisors, great people uh, who understand brands and marketing and e-com is Bobby Brown. And then there's Al Carey, former CEO of Pepsi, who could help get retail distribution. And of course, Gary Vaynerchuk and Christina Tosi, all people that I've been connected to throughout my life who I know, know how to support a founder and help move them along that omni-channel journey. Awesome. So Gary, I turn to you. You know, you, you were early with some investments, Facebook, Twitter. Um, I'm sure your name was a popular one out there for some of these SPACs looking to add to their board or special advisors. So were you approached by other SPACs prior to omnichannel acquisition? Yes. What what made you join on with, with Matt and the team at OCA and really set them apart? You know, I um as some of the people that are watching know, know, I come from an immigrant background. You know, I was born in the former Soviet Union. Most, my entire business career has really been my father and my brother AJ as my only actual partners. And, you know, Matt is really like a brother to me. He's really the only other person that I've had a significant business relationship with when um, him and Steve Ross made an investment in in VaynerMedia and our, our fund together and things of that nature. So for me, it was, the comfort of 
the human interaction, but more importantly, I've had a front row seat um, over the last decade into what I think is Higgins's superpower, which is talent understanding, right? There's a, you know, I, I often talk about, right now with NFTs and SPACs and everything, there's so much debating. Everyone's spending their time trying to convince. And I, I speak a lot about the thought of like, look, when there's new innovations and a lot going on, convincing um, is super, super, um, you know, fine and interesting for people, but having conviction and executing, I think is really the, the most interesting part. And I think there's a lot of people that talk about being good at understanding how to put together advisors or humans. Matt has put the wins on the board of the people and the companies that he's backed. And so you can imagine when I started becoming educated on what SPACs were, which is, oh, okay, these companies are gonna actually have to perform when they go public. It's not private sector capital arbitrage, it's real life, how profitable are you actually? You know, there was a confidence layer for me to go into this one because I knew that that's all that Matt has ever really focused on, which was who are the actual practical practitioners, right? You know. I heard, and thank you very much for the nice interlude of like, you know, motivational but operator. I see Aaron Bryan in the comments saying, Gary talks about motivational but looks miserable. I'm not miserable, I'm focused, I'm an operator. These gray hairs come because I have a 1500 person company globally and I'm operating every day. And I think, you know, operations and execution is gonna matter. Chris, I think you know this, 98%, I mean, I think there's gonna be complete carnage with the majority of the SPAC companies that go public. You know, it's a hot trend to go, it's a liquidation micro event, but there's a lot of companies that probably shouldn't be going public because it's premature for them. They may be great companies, Chris, but they're not gonna be great companies in the first 18 to 24 months from a profitability standpoint and the market's gonna chew them up. And, and listen, we've seen things like Facebook go from 42 to 19 to 250. Like some of those companies will go on to be incredible, bets, I just would rather bet on a human who comes from an operational picking talent background than let's say a VC or financial arbitrage picking talent background. And I think that's gonna be the differentiator. And I'm not interested in wasting my time, Chris. If I'm gonna be advising and this and that, like I'd like for the, the thing to do well, not to like make myself feel good. So this was an easy course for me to jump on. Yeah. And, you know, Gary, you hit some of the some of the parts of my next question was to kind of talk about, you know, how do you separate companies you may invest in versus a company, you know, that looks good to to take public via SPAC. So, you know, Gary talked about profitability and the, the stage of the companies. You know, I'll, I'll follow up with you, Matt. What what do you think are some of the key factors like determining whether you're just going to invest in this company, you know, as like a part of RSE Ventures versus taking the company public via SPAC. Well, I mean, I've talked about it in in uh, in our prospectus too. Is that that you know you want obviously demonstrated traction. I certainly feel better the more of a track record, more evidence that I can analyze. You know, the better, the more comfortable I can feel. It's just sort of you know obvious. So I get you know very uncomfortable when I look at uh, somebody basically putting forth what is effectively a story, right? So demonstrate attraction, but big picture, I'm, I'm analyzing the, the management team and the founder. Do they have what it takes to go the distance? Do they have what it takes to scale? It's very hard, I mean, as Gary knows, right, to get a business from 
1 million to, to 100 million to a billion, those transitions are all really difficult inflection points. And a lot of it begins with the manager and the team of operators. What I have come to find in my experience is no one has the full skill set to go the distance. That's the reality. And sort of queuing on to what Gary was talking about, sometimes with all due respect, I feel like if you're an investor and you're staring at an Excel sheet, all you overlook the human component. Nobody has the full complement to go the distance. And what I did with this SPAC team is reverse engineered the most common competency gaps that I see in a company or a founding team. And to make that a little less you know, abstract, if you have a company that's pretty much been a rocket ship with customer acquisition, they're doing great you know, with performance marketing and whatnot, but maybe they're not so great at brand because it's, it's hard to find both things in the same person. That would be one example. Or they're doing really a great job with their social mission. They're motivated. You know, they're, they're, they're certainly speaking to the millennial customer that wants to ensure that their company stands for something, but they haven't been able to tell that story. So there's these typical competency gaps that I see. So no matter what I'm looking at, I want to see demonstrated chat traction. I want to see a CEO or a founder team that has a high degree of self-awareness. Greatest arbitrage in life and in business is self-awareness, because if you don't have self-awareness, you're going to be help resistant and I can't make an impact. So a lot of what I'm doing is issue spotting, determining whether or not the founder or the management team has what it takes and determining about how can I bring those resources to bear to make this a better company. All right, I'm gonna go ahead and jump in here and ask a question about other SPACs here. Um, so do, I'll go ahead and I'll open the question up to Matt and Gary, you guys can both answer. Is there any kind of de-SPAC companies that are your favorite out there or, or some that you like? Oh, that's interesting. I uh, Well, Gary, you can go ahead if you wanna jump in. Mine's very quick, Matt. You know, I, um, I don't do a lot of homework on publicly traded companies or SPACs. So for me, what I'm spending all my time on is consumer behavior, which lends itself to early stage investing. So, you know, I like to yap a lot and people know that, but I don't like to talk when I don't know. And this is something I have absolutely no, nothing to bring to the table on. I literally don't even know of another SPAC that exists. <laughs> I know Chamath has SPACs. I know that Jim Kiltz told me about SPACs four and a half years ago and he was kind of a father of it. I know that the DraftKings thing, I think was a SPAC. Literally that's where my SPAC knowledge stops and starts outside of the fact that every day I get asked to be, to take my companies to, through a SPAC or to be a part of some. So I'm just, not, I'm not strong enough to answer that question. Well, I, I could jump in, but I'd rather approach it as I think it's a lot easier to analyze a D-SPAC. Let's make this more interesting. Let's analyze a pre-D-SPAC and take a look at what, you know, the, the, uh, the dislocation in the market of the last few weeks has been sort of fascinating to watch, right? You have SPACs trading below trust, right? Make doesn't really make economic sense, notwithstanding the treasury. And we can leave that, we can leave macroeconomic theory aside, but fundamentally it doesn't make a ton of sense. So it's been interesting for me to watch what I believe are some really great management teams and just a, a great thesis be undervalued. So a couple that I'll throw out there that I find interesting is one to accelerate, uh, which is led by uh, Nardelli, right? And, and just big picture, what am I thinking about when I'm looking at a SPAC? Does this management team, CEO, board have access to deal flow? Do they have the ability to harness the resources to uh, evaluate that deal flow and diligence it, right? It's one thing to be able to pick up the phone and get great inbound or outbound. It's another thing to figure out how do you separate real CAC from fake CAC, you know, a real LTV from imagined uh, flywheels. Uh, so I'm looking at do they have the ability to marshal those resources? And a lot of that comes from, do they have great operational background, right? And then can they get a deal done? 
at the end, it's, you know, it's hard, easy to raise money, very hard to deploy it intelligently. So I look at a few SPACs out there that are, that are really interesting. One is a accelerate. Another is a, it's um, it's Michael Dell's. I think it's a MSD. And what I find interesting about that one is a, uh, they're partnering with Greg Lemkow. Greg Lemkow used to run investment banking at Goldman Sachs. I worked with him very closely for two uh, really tough years of my life, trying to buy formula one running all over the world, trying to pull up a deal. But that, that guy's got tremendous access to deal flow, but he's also incredibly thoughtful. And so I get excited to see what they're, you know, what they're going to do. So that's kind of generally how I've been approaching and looking at what kind of management team sort of meets those criteria. Another one, and it's no longer trading below trust, but is a KKR holdings. I mean, they're KKR, right? Going to have access to incredible deal flow, ability to marshal resources to diligence that deal flow, ability to close it. And that was sort of that. So that's giving you a sense of how I approach it. I have a list of about eight that I find interesting, but I'll sort of stop there. But that's my sequence of analysis. Uh, hey, you could see the research there, guys. Like like Gary said, you got to do your deep research and, and you guys can see Matt doing his research there. So one thing I'd like to mention, and, you know, we've seen this already, uh, sports franchises be mentioned in SPACs. Um, we know, Gary, you've been working hard to, to, to get towards the Jets. Um, so my, my question now is, you know, we know Matt has some experience with the Dolphins. When do we get you to team up and get one of these sports franchises? I mean, the one thing Matt knows, because we know each other so well, is there will be no conversation for me to do anything outside of the New York Jets. And I'm doing that <laughs> in a very tortoise-like, you know, uh, again, uh, I, uh, I'm incredibly, incredibly patient. You know, the comments in here, because I don't care about lighting and I don't care about shaving or cutting my hair and because I'm Eastern European and have the raccoon eyes, you know, I get my eight hours of sleep. I'm a tortoise. I'm a high energy guy when I'm awake, but I'm a tortoise out here. And so I'm, I'm hoping to strike on the Jets somewhere in about 22, 23 years. I'm 45, 67, 68 as a young man. Gives me plenty of times to win a Lombardi. So I will not be teaming up with Matt nor anyone else to buy anything other than the Jets, which would be very full circle for Matt and I, because obviously he was the president of the Jets when we first met. Um, and so I, uh, that is my, I'm very narrow in my sports team ambitions. And to be very, very clear, I try to use the, the Jets as a weapon with Gary as a, as a way to get him to sell assets prematurely to pay for things that I want to buy. How are you going to buy the Jets? I know you're out there at the draft and holding up the jersey. We got to get going. Let's sell this. And, you know, it never works. He is oddly what you would think the frenetic one on the screen is Gary Vaynerchuk, but it is it is really more the suit right here because Gary is very Gary is long money, very patient. I, I'm very patient, you know, and it helps me in times like, you know, obviously three years ago, the sports card thing that, you know, I saw your promotion pieces. So, you you know, I, I assume you're going to want to touch the subject. So I'll segue, you know, they exploded. I mean, like, you know, my return on that is absurdity. And it currently probably because of the NBA top shot and a lot of energy going there and just a million other things, people worried about inflation, da, 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 da. There's you know, we're definitely not the top that we were in February. And like a lot of my friends, contemporaries, people that have gone in big two, selling, selling, selling. And for me, I'm like, you know, sports cards have had four of these cycles just in the last 30, 40 years. Like to me, it's very, very easy for me to say, well, I still think we got a lot more to go here, but if not, this next turn in 13, 14 years is gonna be staggering 
like fine art. I think the everyone's debating or right now between NFTs and art and collectibles. I think it's gonna be a huge game of and. I think they're gonna feed each other. I think the alternative investment ecosystem over the next half century is gonna be staggering. And I think people's portfolios will expand dramatically outside of publicly traded stock and real estate portfolios. And so I'm in the midst of this right now where I could exit in a substantial way and I'm doubling down on that asset for 13 years from now, 13 years from now. And so, yeah, I like playing long. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's exactly where we're gonna go ahead and segue. So might as well go ahead and play the NFT video. The Forever Phoenix, you know, I definitely saw uh. that one. <laughs> and and that's all I could say there. I'm I'm I've been I am telling you right now, I'm not gonna start my drawings because you'll probably see the same comments that you got on some of yours, Gary. I know how Robert it is. Art is in the eye of the beholder. So. <laughs> that it is. Go. That it is. So one of the things I wanted to mention is, you know, you were very early in this industry and like you talk about it, you like the grind behind the euphoria stage, but now we're in that euphoria stage. Where do you see the ceiling here in NFTs? I believe, and by the way, the comment section on this show is remarkable. Like, like the quality of the combo and just big shout out to you and your community. Like, I love that we're doing this on, on a back end where I can see the comments. So A, everybody who's, you know, the jokes of me looking disheveled, but also the very thoughtful you know, responses and debating. Um, so it's exciting to say this to this audience. This is one I think I'm gonna really nail and like kind of show this video in 12 years and be, you know, like I like to do the recalls. This is so obviously internet to me, internet 99, 2000, NFTs, the blockchain, the ledger, the, the transactional nature of it, providence, social currency like a blue check or Fortnite skins, cutting out middlemen that don't bring value so we can tra transact. Like NFTs are here for the rest of our collective lives, comma, and it's a big comma. The amount of money that's going to be lost in the next 24 months on individual NFT projects because people bought at 85, and I'm gonna turn it to dollars, not ETH, 137, 4,000, 14,000, and the supply and demand issue that is about to happen over the next 24 months. Because men and men and ladies who are watching, let there be no confusion. Every celebrity, every IP, every league, every movie, every IP, every intellectual property, and every influencer and human will have an NFT project in the next 25 months, which will lead to an extraordinary level of too much supply um, and the demand will not be able to keep up with it. And so the early projects right now that are getting disproportionate economics are gonna be affected poorly and we will have this April, March, April 2000 internet stock moment. In the flip side, when all those things collapse, there'll still be Amazon and eBay in there the way there was in 2000. And the macro of NFTs, because it goes far beyond art and collecting this technology, um, memberships, you know the royalty aspects, the the way music and and books are gonna and movies are gonna be funded and and distributed. This is an extraordinary moment for all of us, and I'm excited to be early on it again, like I was with e-commerce and social media. I you're right. I only know how to get dirty. Unfortunately, I've showered too well. No marker stains left, but um, I 
am working on my own project that I'm hoping to launch in early May. Um, Matt and I are in the final stages putting together a vehicle from an investing ecosystem. Like I'm going all in while all my other stuff, I think NFT is going to be here to stay, but we'll have a moment somewhere here in the next 12 to 18 months where may, people make a lot of jokes about it. Like, see, that was a fad. See, you know, Similar to ICOs, right? Cryptocurrency didn't disappear when the ICO world collapsed. It was, there was, people were in that moment of short-term money, the reverse of everything I'm excited about. Short-term money, let me make a quick bag. I'm gonna buy a plane and a boat and an island by only doing something for fast for 11 months. And we're gonna see that in NFT land. But the macro is extraordinary and game-changing and will have disproportionate impact on businesses that sit in the middle and transact by being a toll booth. They're gonna become remarkably vulnerable and I think people need to pay attention to that because there's a, back to the audience here, there's a lot of publicly traded businesses that make their economics by being in between the artist or the IP and the consumer that are gonna find themselves in a pickle in a decade because of how much ease there is for the creator to monetize directly with audience without needing all that middleware. You know, Gary, I, I know you were looking at some of the comments. We have someone asking if you have a crystal ball. Um, how do you see these things so far in the future? And I got to say, you know, as as you answer these questions, you're knocking off more and more questions that I have, you know, for you talking about, you know, the eBay, the Amazon behind this stuff um, being the survivors long term. I, I, I've got more questions for you on NFTs, but I want to turn to Matt for a minute. Sure. Um, you know, talking SPACs, we had we had a SPAC deal announced yesterday um, for Tops, uh, a well-known company, sports cards, and, you know, doing the SPAC deal and pretty much saying, you know, hey, we're, we're going all in on NFTs too. Can, can you give us a little color on, you know, what your thoughts were on, you know, reading or hearing about that Tops deal? I think it's interesting. I mean, I, 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 Gary and I have been debating a ton. He just mentioned that we were working on our own vehicle around NFTs. I actually, just to pick up on what Gary said, because I don't know a ton about tops. I looked at the deal. I'm sort of, you know, I'm wondering because I, like Gary, I'm seeing the frothiness. I mean, all you got to do is add those three letters to anything and suddenly everyone is euphoric. And <laughs> that's not, that's a little bit of a dangerous, a dangerous place to be. But to go back for a second, it's the journey that Gary's talking about is the more interesting thing. If you want to bring the crystal ball out, that that the glut of IP that is now running up all these prices, right? We we know it's going to happen once there's so much supply, there isn't enough demand, right? And those prices begin, you know, to collapse. Big picture around, uh, and then people will lose faith. And so we have been together on this journey around Bitcoin. You know, I'm going all the way back to 2013. I was mining Bitcoin. Gary and I invested in Coinbase. Gary, tell me if I'm wrong. I feel like it was 2013 or 14, right? There was a period. You got Wasn't it? it? Wasn't it? it? Well, it was four, no, no, you're right. Pretty, pretty. It was four, no, no, you're no, right. It was, it was 14 because I always get, when I bought Ethereum and that wrong, you're right. We, we invested in our last fund in Coinbase in 2014. Uh, Matt and I are crapping our pants out of excitement. We went heavy on, <laughs> on Coinbase in 2014 in our last fund. As you can imagine, especially after yesterday, Chris, you, you're more educated on this than I am. Has there been a company that has had better economics at the height of the heat of the excitement of a macro trend. Because when I think of Google or Facebook, these were companies that were on their way when they went IPO, but they didn't seem profitable. And I'm sure the cynics or the practical or the black and white or the peanut counters were like, yeah, but wait a minute. When I see Coinbase, 
And again, even though I'm in it, it's it's not the biggest thing in the scheme of things. And I'm all, I'm just so undereducated on Wall Street culture, but I'm I'm not a dope and I keep it dangerous, meaning I keep my hand to it a little bit. It seems like for something, you know, there aren't that many times where there's a macro trend like crypto and NFTs and the company that's the disproportionate leader is coming to the market with real goddamn numbers. Am I yeah. wrong? I'm asking. I'm very No, you're I, you're I, not, not You're not wrong at all and that that was going to be one of my questions. Let's jump to Coinbase. So, yeah, those impressive numbers yesterday and it looks like yeah, I mean, the, it just keeps getting better and what a perfect mm-hmm. time to go public. So, you, you know the the revenue growing the the profitability the the signups you know this this past quarter was just insane for them so i i think it's the perfect time to go public and i think you're spot on you know talking about facebook and google maybe going before they had reached that that plateau um so yeah let, let go ahead but i want to make a quick point just to finish the, the whole thought is that there was a moment though in between that journey where even i lost not faith, but interest in Bitcoin. I remember Gary made a joke like, "Why don't we put the entire fund into into uh, into Bitcoin?" I was like, "Don't say stuff like that. You're going to hurt our credibility." <laughs> <laughs> this is this is coming from somebody who went really deep on that white paper and understood 21 million and was renting, you know, server space. Like, I was like, "Don't, no bad luck, right?" So that's going to happen with NFTs. Mark my words, Gary too. You're going to see there's going to be this. Oh, this was just you know a fad, and then the opportunities will really begin to emerge. Sorry, I just wanted to get that out there. No, perfect. So, so Matt, you know, Gary talked about you know not being as knowledgeable with, with SPACs and you know kind of putting his, his trust in you when it comes to that market. Is is that the same here with you know uh, Bitcoin, Coinbase, NFTs, where you're putting your trust and kind of going along for the ride with with Gary on the growth of these markets? That's actually a really great question. Uh, I won't say the instance, but there was one instance when I really lobbied Gary to violate his conviction. That was more like intuition because he wouldn't give me data and it irritated me. And we made a very bad decision to sell something prematurely. So so as Gary knows, I read everything. I love data. and But the reality is the best decisions are gut sandwiches. They begin with gut and intuition. They're supported by data in the middle, but they end with gut and intuition, right? So Gary... I have come to trust and understand that, uh, you know, big picture, especially when it comes to macro trends, he's generally right. And so I have to suspend some judgment when I'm like, really, you want me to buy some kitten? You're telling me (laughs) crypto punk is going to be worth a million? Like, and he's like, buy this. I'm like, but I don't don't think it's interesting. (laughs) So, so, you know, yes, the answer to your question is a lot of it I am drafting behind my brother over here. Chris, the, the thing is, in my older age, with these gray hairs as they emerged, by the way, I love your hair situation, Chris. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's all natural. This is all natural. So I I much like the transparent excuse me, the transparency I brought to this conversation of like, hey, I'm I'm not gonna be able to answer the SPAC thing as well. Hey, I don't really understand how Wall Street wants to decide things. When it comes to a very narrow place, which is consumer behavior around communication layered into technology dynamics. And when I say communication, why do I know NFTs are gonna work? because I know that people buy Mercedes Benzes to flex, because I know people want a blue check on their Instagram account, because I know people want followers on TikTok, because I know that people wear fashion brands with huge logos, because I know that people wear their facial hair or their jeans. We, as human beings, desperately need to have communication to others through our words and our actions. And so, to Matt's point earlier, 
I stay in a very, very narrow place of conviction, which is how people communicate to each other, whether that's through marketing, pictures, videos, written words, and the modern platforms, or through the depths of psychology of what we need for outside affirmation to go and navigate our insecurities or our ambitions. And I, I stay very focused on that. And to Matt's point, that is not an Excel sheet land. You know, you'll enjoy this. Uh, Matt, will, Matt will start laughing because he knows this is my standard answer. People ask me to take, you know, Vayner X uh, public through a SPAC. Obviously, if that even was a consideration, that would be the only one, but they always reach out. And I always say to them, you do not want me to be a publicly traded CEO because in that first earning call, when somebody asks me a 90 day question, a short term, like why'd you lose Pepsi or why did you gain Pepsi or why? Something that makes no sense in a 30 year window, I'm gonna be disrespectful to the fact that they can only make decisions based on Excel sheets and what they learned in business school because that's not real life. No, definitely. You know, one thing I definitely have taken from you, Gary, is the attention that you pay attention to and what people are paying attention to. And that, and there's really, I really don't think there's anybody that grasps that data and really transitions it, learns to monetize it. And, and, and I'm, I'm definitely impressed by that. But let's go ahead and let's move into sports betting here, guys. So I'm going to go ahead and, and play a great video here. I had to play that one. By the way, that video is really I, good. Matt, you got into real good shit. I know that's a shark. Well, I knew you were going to give shark, me. That oh, was a shark tank video. Matt, you looked really, you really got your shit together for Shark Tank, brother. You looked good. <laughs> so I saw Gary for the first time in the middle of the pandemic. We were in fixing. He said, you know what's interesting about you, Matt? I never know what version of Matt I'm going to meet when I haven't seen you. Because, you know, the, the weights go up and down. Yes, that is painful. That's a, that's a zing out of deep love because yes. I want this man on earth for 50 years and I want healthy behavior <laughs> from my dear friend here. I, I hope you guys are loving this in the chat, guys. This is a real, real live conversation between, you know, these two great people who know each other, they invest together. So let's turn to sports. Uh, I want to hit on sports betting and sports cards a little bit more. Um, so, so sports betting, the big news right now is, you know, New York. Um, so, so Matt, any thoughts on, on sports betting? You, you've been in football for a while, you know, will we see, you know, increased legalization state by state, um, and what's the market look like and how receptive, you know, is the NFL to the increase in sports betting? It's so interesting how social mores, you know, evolved. I've been involved with the NFL since I you know, started at the Jets, which was a 2004, right? So the Jets and then to the Dolphins, I remember, early days of the, of the Jets, I was overseeing the business, right? And uh, I really wanted to be able to do branded lotto tickets, right? And so, but that was considered like a societal ill. And so I wasn't able to do a branded. I did a whole PowerPoint for the league about how, it, you know, actually, if you ask people and uh, did a study, they would say that, you know, hamburgers are just as bad as lotto, like that, that there's no reason why we can't do this. You know, when it was eventually permitted, I did a deal in Florida. My only point being, here we are, you know, a decade later, and now sports gambling has obviously hit the tipping point. So I think it's really interesting. I am an investor in a company called Action Network. I don't know if you heard about it, but it creates great content and data uh, around sports gambling. Darren Ravel, by the way, if you don't follow Darren Ravel out there, I think he's one of the smartest people out there on consumer trends, but sports betting in particular. He's at Action Network, so he's where I get my perspective. But if you look at it from a total addressable market, talking about $30 billion at maturity, which will probably be reached by 2000. 
25, 2026. So I think it's obviously here to stay. Um, one thing that I'm working on is uh, I'm one of the first investors in the drone racing league. So we have now become licensed in New Jersey. We're working on getting licensed, you know, in uh, different states around the country. So probably my biggest lament is that I had FanDuel sitting in my office, like got to be six years ago. And I was like, oh, I think this is going to work, but it's kind of in the gray area. Of, and I had to pass. I like to admit all my bad passes, by the way, all within this uh, 30 minute segment. So, you know, obviously huge market, some interesting ETFs out there. I think one BETZ, I'm not an investor, but interesting. Uh, but anyway, I think we're still maybe a quarter of the way through the evolution of the space. Awesome. Yeah. You know, way to admit on the FanDuel. I just wrote about FanDuel this morning. Looks like IPO, you know, is coming soon sure. for them. Uh, you know, um, and yeah, the bets ETF, we had the Roundhill gang on our show a couple times. Um, you know, great peer play basket there. Uh, Gary, I want to turn back to sports cards. So, you know, uh, there, there's not a lot of publicly traded options for investors to, you know, take advantage of this market. We saw Collectors Universe, the parent company mm -hmm. of PSA, you know, bought out. Um, what are some ways that, you know, retail investors can, you know, get involved in the growth of trading cards, either, you know, buying cards themselves or finding a, a platform to invest in here? That's a really good question. Um, so for this audience, I actually think this is a practitioner moment. Here's what I mean by that. I think, to your point, you've got PSA, the, the, the holding co, and I know that like transacted a couple times and that sold it, bought it back. Like, um, so I know a little bit about that. There's obviously now the tops situation. I think Panini is a private company. There's just not a lot of options. So for me, if you're interested in that space, I actually think sports betting and sports cards go very hand in hand because you're really betting on either current athletes, whether it's a Luka Donich or, or a Ronald Acuna. I think one of the things that has made me a good investor was sports cards. You get to understand market dynamics. So for me, I think this is actually an opportunity to get very granular, hands dirty, and actually do a little trading on StockX, eBay, whatever your platform of choice is. eBay is really the dominant place. And play a little bit. It's obviously a lot more tedious. You're holding real life stuff. You get the product shipped to you, you got to put it in a safe. You can send it to PWCC and other places. But I think this is an early stage marketplace. If you Google, there's unbelievable rally and, and dibs and uh, star stock. There's just unbelievable amounts of innovation. So it might be a very high risk, high reward if you want to do the shovels and picks in some of the innovation. And there's a ton of it. Obviously, there's you know the collector's universe and tops aspect if you want to do your public thing though I can't speak to that because again, that's the place that's most great for me, which is what Wall Street does. And then I actually think my actual answer, which is especially if you like sports, you know, one of the reasons people like betting is to make a mundane game more exciting for them. It's You're almost paying like an experience ticket. And I think that um, one of the ways to go about this is to actually, you know, if you believe in Sam Darnold, for example, who just got traded to the Panthers, his cards are extremely down and you just might enjoy the Panther games on Sunday much more. So, you know, worth at least a little bit of a, uh, of a if you wanna get your practitioner skills up to understand how culture and supply and demand work in the trenches. Yeah, definitely. You know, one thing that we've always seen from you, Gary, is that you've been ahead of several trends. I know I was watching three or four years ago, you mentioned TikTok, 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 and man, I should have been listening. I'm not even gonna lie, but what's the next, what's, what's coming next? What are the next trends and, and what can we look out for? You know, I, uh, 
I don't predict, and Matt knows this about me, I don't predict where my one crazy skill is, it immediately becomes obvious to me that it's about to happen with a lot of humans, and then I'm all in fast. I would say, you know, the other thing I was loud about that has emerged was audio. You know, I talked a lot about audio and we've seen Clubhouse pop and I think you'll see every social platform have a Clubhouse-like feature the way Snapchat popped and then everybody had a story feature. Um, I, I really like what I'm seeing with Discord meets NFT projects. So I'm just gonna kind of like talk this through. This isn't a prediction, this is a, how do I help this audience maybe build on top of this micro thought and maybe lead to a big breakthrough for themselves? I believe that NFTs are gonna create such a transparent community that you'll see the people that all owned this young music artist's early token become a virtual fan club. Some of the stuff you're seeing with Facebook groups, the things that naturally happen with humans which we congregate around common interests, fan bases, politic divides. So I'm very hot on the communication layer on NFTs. Let me get nerdy, but very simple. Imagine a world where you have your pub, you have your wallet, you're able to connect to a ecosystem of communication, a chat, a virtual room, uh, a message board, a Facebook group-like environment, and be in a place where you are able to only be part of that community if you actually own the token. The people that build those pipes around that, I think we're gonna have a very, very large business. So what I would say is early, early, alpha, 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 just, just, just the beginnings of a smoke of a thought is the communication layer against the tribes built on what's sitting in your private and public wallets. Awesome. So I uh, want to get to some questions from the chat. If you guys have a couple minutes, I know we're going over here. Um, Matt, and I don't know if you can answer this. We had a question from Bruce in the chat talking about Morgan Stanley out with a study saying that um, SPACs need to have pipes lined up to get deals done. Uh, have you, you know, explored a pipe before this uh, deal gets done? Or is that something you will do once we get an announcement for OCA? That's an easy question because I could just simply say probably not something I could get into. <laughs> so no, that's that's <laughs> a perfect answer. So we, we appreciate the transparency yeah, and the last thing I want to do is you in trouble. Yeah. So uh, hey, uh, hey Chris, does go anybody, ahead. Else, anybody else find it funny that I I like I like the, the the terminology that the SPAC world has created has made me really laugh. Pipes, really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's just it's one of those terms out there that you know it as oh, someone who writes about SPACs, okay. I I, I oh, say more than I ever thought I would. So hey Chris, can I jump in on something Gary said for half a yeah, second? Go ahead, Matt. For, your, for your audience out there, if you're looking at Gary and it like seems like he's got a crystal ball because he was always so there before you read about it. I was making this point to the Dolphins players yesterday. We do a business combine where we help the guys figure out what's their career gonna be after football. It's pretty amazing, like probably 40 guys for an hour where I'm just talking business. And I was giving them my number one piece of advice is that successful people are able to act on opportunity before the tipping point of evidence, right? Not before there is evidence, before there's a tipping point. And so I have never had an original thought. I have acted early and with conviction just as Gary has. So NFTs look to you like, or not you, the world, like they just started about three months ago 
They've been around for a long time, right? Bitcoin, Bitcoin was around for a long time before Elon Musk started tweeting about it and acquired a billion and a half worth of it. Like, so my only advice to those, it's not that you uh, can't get access to the information because the information is about on the internet. As Gary Vee likes to say, Google is your mother. Like, go ask mom, go ask Google. It's whether or not you have enough conviction and belief in yourself to go ahead and act on that opportunity before the tipping point of evidence. I just want to give that overall advice because it's not like Gary and I were, you know, endowed with special supernatural powers. It's that we did cultivate the ability to act with conviction early. Awesome. I, you know, I, great, I would like to say that my, go ahead, like, Gary. Go ahead. I would like to say that my mom and dad did give me superpowers. <laughs> just not good hair. <laughs> no, definitely not good hair and not the ability to spell. But my mom, my mom trained me Star Wars style in the most important skill set in life, which is emotional intelligence. You know, I think what we are about to see over the next century is the incredible growth of the gray. People starting to really delve into the depths of intuition, which today over the last 50 years has been laughed at because it wasn't granular. We've lived through the great era of the black and white, the school system, the get a job, the college. What the internet, the blockchain and everything else is doing is it's flipping the world upside down and it's creating a world that's going to rely on emotional intelligence, kindness, empathy, compassion, foresight, chance, lack of fear, millions of other things that happen. And so it was funny that Matt used that term because I actually cannot believe how fortunate I am in the timing and the luck of when I was born because the things that I do naturally have and the circumstances of how I was brought up are more valuable today than they would have been in 1967 or 72 from a business transaction standpoint. And I think for everybody who's in the chat right now or watches after, leaning into strengths and not overdwelling on weaknesses, I think is the incredible aha, at least that I know about myself and what I observe in Matt and every other person that I've come across that is, in my opinion, outperforming. And I think a lot of people spend way too much time on prevent defense using a football term. Everybody sucks at most things. Stop dwelling about what you suck at, focus on a strength and then go and attack. And right now, a lot of people are gonna invest in things that they don't understand. Cannabis, betting, um, crypto, NFTs, sports cards, or a hot stock, instead of betting on things they deeply do understand. And when they do that, they always outperform. Yeah, definitely. I wanna jump in here. You know, uh, as you guys see my name here, Story Investors, I definitely think the story of is everything a lot in this market. If you don't know the story of things then you're not gonna understand the trends, you're not gonna be able to get with the flow before the catalysts really come. And, and, and one of the things that I'd mentioned that you guys are mentioning just for traders out there, um, one of the best things you can do is learn to be decisive. And, and that's one thing that Matt just kind of mentioned that I think really, really can stick to you traders out there. I think that's right. You know why? It's more fun to die on your own sword. Mm -hmm. When you go with conviction and go all in for real, if you lose, there's a level of satisfaction of like, well, it wasn't somebody else who did this or God damn it, I listened to or I listened to this one podcast or Gary got me into cards at the wrong time. Like, no, no, when you die, look, all of us in this game are gonna die many times. Life's a video game. You die a lot in business, right? Business is that. It's just a lot more fun to die on your own decision. And so that conviction and understanding makes it more palpable. The taste of losing is bad enough. Losing, 
on someone else's opinion or push is a disgusting feeling. Yeah, I've know, been there, you know, all point. the chat rooms you see nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. I think that's going to wrap up our questions. We, we kept you over the time that we said. I know we have a million more questions. The chat has a million more questions. We, we'd love to have you back on sometime. I'm hoping we can get you guys back on when that OCA deal gets announced. So, so again, guys, joining us on the show today, we have Matt Higgins, Omnichannel Acquisition, RSE Ventures, and we have Gary V, VaynerX, Vayner Sports, Vayner Media, five times New York Times bestselling author, a super New York Jets fan. <laughs> uh, you know, what a great conversation we had. You know, I, I love it. Thank you so much, both of you, for taking time out of your busy schedules. Uh, again, guys, the ticker is OCA, Omnichannel Acquisition. And if you didn't hear me at the start of the show for full disclosure i am long shares oca uh thanks again guys thank you so much for having us awesome full disclosure i am long the three uh specs that i mentioned as well i love being on and we will definitely come back awesome definitely. thank you cheers bye-bye thanks matt thank bye, you guys bye mitch take care well, guys, well, guys, I honestly don't think that uh, Chris and I can be more thankful than we really are. We're extremely blessed to have uh, Matt and Gary on with us, not only just because it, it, you know, it boosts up SPAC's attack and our branding, but really why we do this, guys. We do this to get the information out to you guys out there, because if not, then you're the uninformed trader. You're what they talk about out there on, we won't mention different medias, but you guys are not uninformed anymore and that's what we do what we do here is to get you guys value and we do it for free every single day so if you definitely got value out of that smash the like button and let us know in the comments after why you guys think SPACs attack is the best show in the world and where we're going to be going in SPACs yeah, holy cow, what a great interview. I, I learned so much from that. Mitch, I know at the top you said you got to hear Gary speak. I, I love just the conversation, right? This is a guy who who's so smart, as everyone in the chat said, that crystal ball, right? You know, and we talk about them investing in Coinbase back in 2014, being early, you know, with cryptocurrency, being early with NFTs, TikTok, Facebook. Twitter, you know, it all goes, you know, from early on. And again, I, I am long shares of OCA, but I got to say, and this is not investment advice, but look at the team right here, Matt and Gary with a SPAC. I, I'm led to believe that they find a great target company, just my opinion. You want to know a fun fact that most people don't know? What's that? Most people don't know that Matt actually pushed himself out of high school. He actually went to go get his GED because he said, you know what, this, this whole game is just too slow for me. I got bigger plans. I got bigger dreams, bigger aspiration, and I want to get down to work. So he went and he said, you know what, he, 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 he did, they talk about it in, in a video I watched that, that Matt said he walked in to a certain class and the teacher told him, well, we'll see you working at McDonald's. And he said, you know what? If you see me working at McDonald's, it's because I own it. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And that's the that's the mentality that you guys got to have. If you guys are entrepreneurs out there trying to take your game to the next level, it's time. It's time. And the time is now. America 2.0 has started, guys. We have the reopening. You have opportunities out there. You just need to go after them. 
decide like Matt did that now's the time and I'm going to go after it. And I think you guys will get to where you guys want to be in life. Yeah. And again, guys, I saw a question in the chat. The ticker is OCA. And also I dropped in the chat. There were three SPACs that Matt mentioned um, that were picks of his. We had AAQC, MSDA, and KAHC. I will have an article up on Benzinga.com, of course, talking about those three SPAC picks. We'll have more articles up and we'll have clips coming from this great interview. But as Mitch said, make sure you smash that like button, subscribe. We're not the only show out here. We have content running all day long. So subscribe so you get notifications, great CEO interviews across all the shows. So I know Power Hour is coming up next. Um, I know they've got an interview on there. Uh, you know, Mitch, how can people get to that stream for, for Power Hour next? Well, 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 one of the things is you guys, it'll go ahead and redirect on over, but definitely like Matt has said, we got to go all in and, and that's what it's all about, guys. I'll put up this picture um, just here. I had this ready for us, you guys, but whether you're nine or 90, stop trying to fix things that you're bad at, guys. Focus on things that you're good at. Double Double, triple down at what you're good at. Focus on the execution side. I know that, hey, my guy out there, Jason Raznick, always reminds me how important execution really is. And that's why we push here at Benzinga is to not just talk about the ideas, but execute on them, just like we got this great interview. So smash the like button. If you guys enjoy us reaching out to interviews like this, and if you like SPAC's attack, I'm going to go ahead up and wrap it up. Let's go ahead up and go to the power hour. But like always, guys, we'll see you next time on the SPAC's Bye, everyone. attack.